Good morning, good afternoon, good day to all you fine motherfuckers walking around this beautiful planet Earth. Welcome to another episode of Recovery is Fucking Awesome. I am your host, Robo. My day of grace is May the 7th of 2010, and for that, I am extremely grateful, and I am as grateful as I know how to be today. So today is Friday, November 24th, the day after Thanksgiving. Hope everybody celebrated their normal person one day of gratitude, where us in recovery celebrate gratitude every fucking day. You know, when my daughters uh, kind of forced me into doing this podcast, um, I, I tried to emulate the successful podcasters, and the, the first one I went to was Joe Rogan. What Joe Rogan does, he interviews people. He has guests on, and they, you know, just talk about random stuff. And so there was only one dude who came to my mind to be first. He is my best friend. He is the guy that I um, try to emulate. He has taught me how to live in gratitude. And it is absolute my honor and privilege that our schedules finally got together to where we can sit down face-to-face. And this is going to be probably one of the most uplifting, inspiring uh, podcasts I will ever do, especially for the newcomer. So if you are struggling, understand this, that gratitude is an action word. It's a way of life. And if you looked up gratitude in the dictionary for sobriety, you would see this guy's picture. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the fucking show. My man, my best friend, Jake W. Jake, welcome. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Uh, wonderful introduction. Um, as unexpectedly amazing uh, as it is to hear someone mention good things about me, uh, it's extremely humbling to hear it um, coming from a level of love and respect that, that I have for you. And uh, it's an amazing experience to be able to walk this recovery journey and do it with someone um, and other people, but especially someone like you that has a, a passion and a, a willingness to share that passion and hope, um, offer that hope when, when some people just don't. That's the last thing that, that they think that they need, but it's uh, sometimes the, the most important. Uh, coming from a, an egotistical standpoint, uh, as I did, um, in my recovery, so um, knowing that we can do this and we do it together makes what I do a little bit easier to know that I've got an army beside me and behind me that are willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober today. And, and, and so, so for those who, who don't know and, and follow me on social media, when I talk about Jake Dust, this is the guy that I'm telling you, you just sprinkle that, that fucking goodness all over the day. So what I like to do is, um, you know, talk about what ha- what it was like, um, what happened to you, and then uh, we'll get into um, how badass and fucking awesome it is now. But the floor is yours, my man. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. You know, it is a, a privilege and a pleasure to be here. Um, humbling, uh, to say the least, would be the one of the first words that I would think of. Um, my sobriety date is June the 3rd of 2011. And, boy, uh, in the words of a good friend of mine, who I don't get to see at the group too much anymore, but hopefully one day he listens to this, he say, uh, I'm grateful for that sobriety date, and so are a lot of other people, you know? Um, so... Um, it's been an incredible journey uh, for me, one that um, I was trying to think back just a few minutes here before we started when I sat down here and was thinking about every day since June the 3rd of 2011, if I really look back and think about it, it's been the greatest day of my life. I've had a consecutive series of greatest days of my life, and that's because I haven't had to choose to pick up a drink to change the way that I feel or change the way someone looks at me or change the way I think that I need to feel 
uh, to fit in any place and, or with, with anyone. So having that understanding and realization uh, obviously has taken a lot of time. Uh, and I struggle at times, especially in the beginning, um, because I didn't come into this program willingly at all, um, per se. But I did need it. Um, I just didn't know how really to um, ask for help. You know, I came from a distinguished line of fine alcoholics. So uh, growing up in an environment that uh, alcohol was a social lubricant, you know, it was it was there. It was a festive occasion. You know, uh, the adults did it at holidays. They did it at birthdays. Um, so it was uh, something that I didn't really see as a, a bad thing, you know, in my neighborhood, you know, um, if you will, in my family. A um, few negative consequences um, when I was growing up, and I never really saw my parents fight over any anything too much. Um, my dad drank. Um, my mom never did too much, but she would go out and enjoy a margarita or two every once in a while. But I don't ever remember being, you know, physically abused or physically um, or verbally assaulted or, or uh, any, any negative thing as a result of my dad or my parents being drunk. You know, and again, I looked at it as everyone having a great time, you know. So um, having that in the back of my brain, you know, was something cool. And I always look forward to the time when I could experience that. You know, um, I always felt like I fit in, but not really quite right. You know, it's like uh, I was as close to a round peg as a round hole could be. But I just, I don't know, maybe just wasn't comfortable for me. Um, I did good in school, played athletics. Um, didn't really have a, too many scrapes with... Uh, bad doing bad in school or anything like that um, until I got into high school and discovered that um, seniors threw parties and they had alcohol and sometimes if you knew the right person you could get in and um, that's kind of the way that it went for me you know uh, my first drink was in high school um, I think when I was about 15 years old so then from then on, it just kind of carried. But um, I, I remember not remembering and it kind of being cool when I got to tell stories about it. So that thing for me became kind of like a what if I drank this and then what if I did this type situation. So therefore, I, I was able to play a role that I didn't really fulfill in my own right but once I had alcohol I didn't know what was going to happen or how I was going to act because I didn't know how to stop and that happened from the very beginning um, I think I literally from my second time drinking I started blacking out and I never stopped and that carried on for about 14 years pretty much of through heavy drinking but I didn't let the drinking affect my schooling until I started to work with someone who was 21 and I was able, able to give them a ride home and they would get me a bottle of vodka and I would drink vodka before school sometimes and either just leave or black out and leave and then come to school the next day and people would say, do you know what you did yesterday? And I'd say, no, I don't. And I say that now, and it kind of scares me because that was that was just the way that I did, and it was a normal thing. I didn't look at it like I was doing any harm, and it was I was creating and manifesting a, a behavior, you know, that was conducive to the way that I wanted to live, but didn't really know how to behave once I adopted that manner of living. So, um. I got my first DWI, and I grew up in Indiana, and they called it an operating while intoxicated back then. Um, so I got it for running an orange light, a red light, they said, you know, but I, I swear it was an orange light, you know, yellow to red. 
and I was doing my my drunk friend a favor and coming to the party and picking him up. So I I thought that I was doing him a favor, but I ended up getting a ticket, and they called my parents, and I'll never forget this because literally the officer told my parents, he said, and I quote, this boy's eyes look like interstate roadmaps. They're as red as I've ever seen. You tell me you haven't drank, and I said, no, sir. So anyway, I got out of that one literally scot-free with just a ticket, you know, and a warning, and my parents drove my truck home, so it was a real quiet ride home. But there was never a major consequence, and that's kind of when it first started. So from then on, I continued to progress my drinking. I, I drank beer. I drank whiskey. I wanted to try it all. Mad Dog 2020, the the Boone's Farm, the Thunderbird wine, the Mickey's. The, I wanted the malt liquors. You know, that was big in the 90s, the malt liquors. So it became literally a social lubricant for me. Uh, when I moved, I moved down to Texas when I was 19 and um, oh, I was 20, excuse me almost 21 and when I became 21 it was I, I went to Millie's Oasis over here and got drunk you know with, with my parents and ended up falling off the bar stool and they thought it was the funniest thing and you know from then on I, I never really could handle my liquor but I always wanted to pretend like I could and I just never really knew when to say no and I, and I, I understand that now but it's taken a lot of introspective looking. But back then it was just, I didn't want to not say no. You know, I didn't know that I was doing anything bad to myself. I didn't know that I was being someone that I really didn't know and didn't want to be around. I mean, other people didn't want to be around me when I drank so much alcohol and blacked out. And that became very obvious when my circle of friends began to drop and begin to change. My behaviors didn't change, but I always found people that were willing to either accept it or try to keep me in line, like I needed a babysitter type situation when I drank. So I was a server as well, so being in the, in the restaurant business was easy. You know, I was always around it. I learned how to bartend. Um, I got to drink on the job. I mean... Things were going great. And then I got my first DWI, which I don't even remember. And that's sad. You know, I basically had to look at the police report and say, I probably could have done that. You know, I had no defense. So I got my first DWI. And again, I had a little bit of consequences, but nothing too major. I think it was probation for a year, pay some fines and court costs and um, I went to a few AA meetings um, where I had to get a paper signed. I think I only had to go to like five in like three months or something like that. So I did all that stuff. And then after that was done, I continued to drink, you know, and um, I just continued to drink. And there was no, just like it never happened. Like I, I didn't even get a, a, a silly slap in the face, like nothing nothing changed in my behavior. In fact, I think it got worse. Um, as far as my drinking went, I'd spend way more time at the bar. Um, I'd pick up a little bit of extra shifts if I need to feel like I needed to stay out later and, and drink more. Um, I found friends who, again, would in the kitchen who would drink with me after work or during work. You know, we were closing down. Um, I was always in an environment that supported the way that I wanted to live. I was never really an outsider from my alcohol. I, always, I was very close to it all the time. So I was either behind the bar or in, in the dining room. And I always had to change of clothes. That way I could change my clothes. And then literally go drink at the bar that I was just just serving drinks at and drink with people so and spend my tips at the bar you know and it's just it seems insane but 
I was an alcoholic from the very beginning. I firmly believe that, but I just didn't really know how to accept it myself. It was something that I would joke about and say, but I didn't want to do anything about it. I was fine being a bum, and I was fine waking up with the shakes and not remembering where my car was parked and hearing people ask me what I did last night. I say, no, please fill me in because I don't remember. I was fine with that, and that's sad uh, to think back about that. I'm grateful that I survived because um, it led my drinking led to another DWI again um, that I was very lucky on. I'd been drinking for several hours and decided to it was safe for me to drive home and crashed my truck through the fence on 360 late at night. And literally the only thing I think that saved my life was probably the airbag. I was wearing my seatbelt and the fence. I ran through the, the chain link fence. They used to have a chain link fence on 360. And of course my truck wouldn't start, but I was so drunk that they yanked the keys out of the truck and I literally pulled the spare set out of the glove box and tried to drive the truck. So that was my second DWI. And again, after that, those consequences uh, were met. Um, a little bit stiffer consequences this time, steeper penalties. Had to have a, well, I didn't have a vehicle, so it was easy. Uh, I didn't have to get an interlock device, but I had to get a special license to be able to drive all that good stuff. Um, so um, it kind of woke my parents up a little bit. And I was like, hey, man, maybe this maybe this kid does have a problem. So they kind of monitored me a little bit, if you will, and tried to tighten up the leash. But, again, I would do things for just long enough to make people think that I might have changed a little bit. I could do things a certain way and then I would totally go off the rails and say I wasn't going to do something and then totally do the opposite by getting drunk and ruining something weddings, special occasions concerts, employee functions, you name it I wanted to be a part of it and most of the time I was the bad part of it so I managed somehow to not get a DWI for like 10 years. I'm serious. Like I, I managed to drink and um, skirt literally a number of instances, probably where I should have not driven home from wherever I was drinking. And that changed when I got my third, I got a third DWI. Again, I don't remember what happened. All I remember is driving before and dropping my friend off that I worked with and telling him, I'm the man. I can do this. I can drive. And I didn't. I wasn't able to make it home. And I don't know under what circumstances, honestly, to this day, um, what happened. I haven't read any police reports. I just know that I blacked out and didn't make it home and got a Drinking cost me a lot of money. It cost me a lot of relationships. Um, cost me a lot of heartache, pain, um, just tumultuous terror. I can't even imagine. Uh, my parents aren't alive to this day, but um, if they were, they'd probably sit here and smack me on the back of the head because of... Um, the way that I let alcohol control my life. And um, it was detrimental to my own cause. But I didn't see it for a long, long time. And with the help of um, the Tarrant County judicial system, and the, the felony alcohol intervention program, um, through my fourth DWI, I got a fourth DWI. I was celebrating, not waiting tables anymore going to get a real job working nine to five it's going to start the next day monday the first day i decided to get somebody to pick up my shift that sunday morning and get drunk and 
got a DWI in the parking lot, the place that I was not ever going to ever work at again. And I got a DWI in the parking lot for my fourth DWI. So they had this program, the felony alcohol intervention program. And I wanted to quit drinking. You know, I just didn't really know how. You know, uh, my dad was still drinking um, at this time. So... I struggled on what I should do, but I know I knew in my heart of hearts that I didn't want to go to jail because I probably wouldn't survive. You know, um, I didn't know how I would um, do that, and I didn't have the money. I didn't think it would be feasible for me to pay an attorney to keep me out of jail. I was four DWIs in the state of Texas. I was going to be shackled up and shipped off on a white bus. I can add money to commissary, you know? Uh, so they had that program, the Felony Alcohol Intervention Program. So uh, when my attorney mentioned that, I said, yes, please. I'd, I'd love to get into that because it wasn't um, a typical 10-year probation. It was a four-year probation, uh, more, con- more um, stipulations, um, a little bit cheaper, but the ramifications and the consequences were equally the same. So that, therefore, if you didn't meet their standards, uh, didn't do the things that they said to do, jump through the hoops they said you needed to jump through, then you could literally be shipped off to jail. So that motivation enough kept me from wanting to, A, screw anything up, my, my way of thinking to screw anything up that I would jeopardize that opportunity because I didn't want to go to jail. And I saw this felony alcohol intervention program as a way out, you know, and as, as a way uh, that I might be able to change, you know, my way of thinking. Uh, starting off by letting someone do the thinking for me and tell me where to be and how to be there and, and, and how to look. So uh, I got accepted. And it literally led to me going to the Grave Street group and being a part of that group. And uh, because I had to find an AA group that was close and I had to do uh, 90 meetings in 90 days um, and all this other good stuff and lots of other uh, things that I needed to do. And one of them was uh, outpatient counseling. And that was really, really cool um, program because I got to learn about me and some triggers and what triggers mean and how my way of thinking isn't really good, you know? And I needed to rewire my brain. And, and I was a proven alcoholic. I just didn't really know how to admit it. And first time I admitted it in front of a group of people was at that group and it never felt more comfortable being any place anywhere with a like-minded group of people and uh, I've felt that in other groups but not so much as what my home group is because I got to learn about me and, and what it means to be okay and what it means to be in recovery and and how you can adapt a manner of living that supports an, a decision that you don't want to drink today. And I had to have a partner in recovery here, they called it, for the felony alcohol intervention program. And, and having someone take you everywhere because you can't do certain things and you're not supposed to drive is pretty humbling. Because you're at their beck and call, and no excuses. You know you can't show up late because you got a flat tire, or because your ride was late. You know, I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful peer that I was uh, just about to marry. You know, we got uh, married. I had been sober a little over a year. You know, um, went to my first meeting June fifth of two thousand eleven at the Grave Street Group. Uh, it's just been an amazing occurrence ever since, you know, a, a microcosm of 
learning and uh, just a way to live, seeing different examples, people sharing their strength when you have none, their hope when you see none, and courage to get through the day and not drink no matter what. I didn't know that those things existed or were even possible, let alone in other people, or I didn't think I had the enough fortitude to find that in myself. You know, um, and I was willing to find a sponsor, go to meetings, and listen to meetings, listen to people as they talked, and not worry about what I was going to say how people were going to perceive me because I didn't care about that. And I don't to this day. I care about not drinking when I walk through that door and to be able to leave everything else outside of that door taught me that I can pick all of those things up and carry them with me back home and I can choose to bring baggage in my home if I want or I can leave it on the front doorstep such as work or things that aren't really that that important at that time, you know. How I learned from other people, I didn't know that even existed until I met people who were way smarter than me, who were way more sober than me, who had been there and done that, who showed me their T-shirts and their bumper stickers for the same thing. Uh, people had gone through worse things. And I knew that no matter what, as long as I didn't drink, I could get some of what they had. So when you when you came in, <clears throat> and don't mind the buzzing or the dog barking in the background because, you know, just like life and recovery, we're unedited and uncensored. Um, so when you came in, when you... Started working the steps with the sponsor. When was it that it 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 clicked and you went from, I guess the 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 fear some I guess fear of not drinking, to where you grasped this program, you got sucked in, and the the light clicked and the the switch flipped and then you you started this this trajectory upward to where you are today. For me, that was real. For me, that was real easy. It was uh, first part of the hundred sixty-four pages of the big book. The first first part uh, when I realized that I truly was an alcoholic, and that my selfish tendencies literally were the root cause of most of my own misfortunes, misgivings, uh, everything that I thought was dealt to me that was bad. Half the time, I had a huge role in it because I was selfish. I had selfish, uh, immoral instincts that I was I was feeding. So for me, it was easy when I learned that I was the first person in the way of my mm. own recovery. And I saw that, again, by going through the big book and marking down every single time those selfish tendencies pop, pop up in, in the first part of the, the big book. That, so that was a great eye-opener for me. And then that selfish part carried over literally by just trying to do something for someone else without expecting anything in return, which was the hardest thing for me. And w it, what that was was my first sponsor had me praying for my probation officer. And boy, did I not want to pray for her good things. But you know what? He he told me that if I did, then good things were happening because I'm I'm bringing good things in, and I needed all the positive self talk that I that I could get, and I learned that as well by listening to other people and hearing the solution about what it means to not drink, and it's okay 
if you're not okay, it's okay to not be okay, but just don't be not okay enough to and drink over it, especially yep. if you're an alcoholic. Yeah, I believe that whole manifestation. If we put good out, we're going to get good back. If we put shit out, then we're going to get shit back. Um, now, I was... Because you, you were talking about doing shit and not, not expecting uh, anything in return. You've done that for me a couple times. Um, and you didn't have to, but you did. And that was, I mean, the first time I met you, you had a breathalyzer in your truck. Um, and I think our very first conversation was about fishing. And ever since then, um, we've been friends. We go fishing. Your daughters go fishing with us. It, it is just, it's... It's amazing that your decision, although it was kind of forced by Tarrant County, and my decision, which is the same decision, to not take one drink for one day, has led this into the friendship. That being said, it says in our, in our hymnal, too, that we are people who might not have ever met. If it wasn't for this program, you and I may have never ever, we may have seen each other around town, but we would have never met. Um, so... Now that you're involved in this for, for a little while, tell me, let, I, w- I want to, fuck it. Let's talk about gratitude. Just the gratitude of waking up in the morning and not having the shakes and not having that, that fear of where our, our, you don't have a truck now, you got a badass Jeep, but, you know, and, and remembering what we did yesterday and, and just being grateful for the fact that we got to wake up, we got another shot at this thing to go piss gratitude and kick ass. I want you to talk about that. What what does gratitude mean to Jake? It real simple, real real simple. You know, I, I honestly I wake up in the morning, every morning, every morning, and I thank God for my sobriety, and I ask Him to come into my life and help me stay sober, because I am fallible. I know that I can screw things up uh, a lot of times, especially if I go in with um, a real can-do macho attitude, right? Uh, I hear you say in, in, my, in meetings that uh, I'm an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, and I get that today. So if I remember, number one, that it's not about me, and that's what I have to do is I have to wake up and literally take my first step and remember that I'm an alcoholic and that my life is unmanageable and that's okay as long as I ask for help. So waking up in the morning and remembering that I'm teachable today and I'm not always going to be the teacher. Sometimes I'm going to be sitting down in the desk learning something and that's okay. That's the first thing that I do. And then Other small things that come to me are the simple things by keeping it simple. I usually incorporate part of the St. Francis prayer into a morning meditation. And my morning meditation for me is, is simple. I try to keep it simple for a few minutes each morning and just sit in silence and find myself and it's easier for me to do that for a few minutes because I've been doing it for so long so it started off as 30 minutes but I've gotten a little bit more refined and um, um, just I'm able I believe because I I stay in tune to the gratitude and remember how awful my life was like, literally, sometimes when I swallow, I can taste the martini you know, from my last drink if I think back hard enough. And that keeps me sober. And um, sometimes that's what it takes each day, but I usually don't have to resort to, man, a drink would be good today. Or am I really that spun halfway around the axle the wrong way, you know, through a high-speed come-apart and a slow-speed situation where things just aren't going right, or is it just my attitude because my perception and my my 
my true belief and the way that I feel I'm being treated is wrong. So what is my part in this? So I, I just am so grateful for the introspective approach that having completed all 12 of the steps and be willing to apply them on a daily basis in my life through all aspects of my life, through making coffee in the morning to how I treat my dogs, to how my neighbors, uh, when, I, when I greet my neighbors, to people in the street, in the gas stations, wherever I may be, I try to be a better version of myself each and every day because I know that tomorrow is not given. It's earned, and it's a gift. You know, you, you want to do good things. And I firmly believe that if we surround ourselves with good people that do good things, we feel good generally understand goodness and recognize goodness and we're able to perceive that um, because it's all around us you know we have to the book calls it being vigilant you know we have to be vigilant you know in our sobriety you know watch out for certain instances where we're maybe selfish you know selfish tendencies may pop up what do we do we ask for help pause stop pause and pray i learned that first 90 uh 90 days at the group and i was like what does that mean <laughs> and then a good old boy that wore a cowboy hat and had a really cool mustache told me chew on your words before you spit them out sometimes not say anything at all and then another thing i heard and i'm going off the subject but it's it's all relevant but doesn't need to be said does it need to be said by me and does it need to be said by me now? Three questions I can hopefully ask myself in certain situations. And if I can't answer them, then I shouldn't live to be answered. Okay, let's let's talk about a, a subject that, that could <clears throat> be uh, helpful to newcomers. So you got sober, got married, got kids. So how has the home life gone from before to how it is now? As far as like the the attitudes and relationships. And, sure. And yeah, I mean, it, just because we're sober doesn't mean we ain't going to struggle, right? Life is life. And, and it's, you know, like you said, it's, it's our perception and how we react or not react to certain things. You know, for, for people who are married and have kids, they get it. Right, it, it's 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 not a challenge. It's not a struggle. It's it's just part of it, right? So, how has has the Jake household uh, changed over time due to sobriety? Well, that's uh, just a, a wonderful question. You know, trying to look back at a timeline um, because I wouldn't have a family. Right now, if I was still drinking, I don't think I'd be alive. So it's real easy for me to say that that was like a single, like a completely separate life, right? My, so my daughters have never seen me drink. Got one daughter that was born in 2012, and the other one was born in 2014. So as of right now, they've you know they've never seen me drink, which I'm real grateful for, and. My home life is the direct result of being humble enough to know my part, to not want to try to cause too much strife in my own life by trying to keep a happy wife. And it's not necessarily like I, I try to keep her, but just like the just try to maintain my own emotional sobriety enough that I don't get caught up and spun around in normal normal um, behavior, I say, because I'm an alcoholic, so I kind of live in a manic-style <laughs> life, right? Like, some things I can get really, really fired up about and want to do, like, 100% to the max, and then other things I just want to crash and, and burn it. You know, so being able to maintain a, a literally a spiritual balance 
and equilibrium has allowed me to stay sober and then also fill a role that I didn't know that I could fill by being a husband, going from a fiance and into being a husband, you know, a provider, someone who's, you know, willing to stick his neck out and, you know, uh, buy a house or, you know, do whatever, you know, but just be willing to be there and to, to be vulnerable. And before I was drinking, I didn't want to be vulnerable. You know, I did everything I could to choke down, wash down, swallow every single good emotion that would have made me happy. Like, I just didn't know what I was capable of, you know, on the inside. So having that makes me be a better dad and makes the home life way better. And it also makes it where I've got support. So if I want to go catch a meeting or if I want to come hang out with a friend and talk into a microphone (laughs) about freaking recovery and being awesome, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, you know, talk about gratitude. I mean, I've got a wonderful supportive wife who encourages it, and I don't um, live in a household where, yes, we sometimes have liquor, but it's usually for other people. Like, you know, it doesn't bother me. Um, I bought my sister a couple cocktails when we went to a concert a few weeks ago, you know, and I walked off with a bottle of water and one hand and a, I don't even remember what it was, a Tito's and cranberry for her. And I got her a double because I was, she's going to need a double. <laughs> that's what we do, Because right? that's what I would have wanted, right? <laughs> she was like, gosh, you got me a double. I'm like, you got a couple hours before you drive. You'll be fine. You know? So being able to be in that environment and not even think that that's my drink or that it's acceptable for me to touch that to my lips is a just a complete 180. Like, it's, it's amazing. And, and I'm literally tap dancing on two by fours every single day because I get to do so many things and it's, it's as the result of only doing one thing right. Just only one thing I've ever done right so far in my life since June 3rd of 2011. It's the one thing I've hit a bullseye on and that's not drinking. I've got 100% success rate at that. And that's it. Everything else is... 95, 90%. Now, if you ask my better half, she'll probably say about 45 or 30%, (laughs) depending on what kind of day we're having. But, you know, that's the thing is, is life is just a way more enjoyable treat that I, I literally get to enjoy. And I understand that it's a present today and I get to unwrap it in any way that I want and wipe off my glasses change my field of view, change my perspective, stop, pause, and pray. Wow. I mean, talk about just an exorbitant amount of energy, and I feel like a a sobriety juggernaut some days. You know, I just, I don't ever want this to stop, you know. And the day that it does is the day that I'm not working it. That's how I know. You know, it, it's funny. You said that you, you draw strength off other people in the group. Um, and I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it, right? Um, we all suffer loss in one form or another. And to watch people like yourself walk through with, with grace and dignity and still remain sober at the loss of your parents, um, you know, thankfully mine are still alive, but I know that that day's coming. And so I can draw strength off you just like I draw strength off other people like, you know, our friend Katie who lost her husband. I, I couldn't imagine losing my wife, right? But that may happen. I don't dwell on it, but it may. But it's one of the gifts of this program is we get to draw strength and inspiration from each other. It's, it, it, it's just it's fucking amazing, dude. And, you know, you are – I've seen you interact with with your wife. Um, something that that I would like to do that 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 positive way. Um, you know, we we get along fine. Don't get me wrong, but it's I can be better. 
um, I see you interact with your kids, right? And when my kids were that age, I was drinking. So I never got to do that. Um, but that you, you know, and I'm not kissing your ass because I've already told you this before and I've said it in the meeting and I don't give a fuck, but you inspire me to be better every day. When you call me or text me every morning, dude, that is just, I get fucking goosebumps because I can feel, I can feel the gratitude and I can, I can feel the, the positive energy just coming from a simple text, right? And so the, I guess the culmination of, of all that bad shit that you've done, everything that's happened in your life has got you to where you are right now. I think that's where we draw the gratitude from is because we know where we came from. We know what we did. Um, personally, I don't live with regrets because all the good and bads got me to where I am right now, and right now is, is pretty damn good. But if, if you were to talk to the newcomer, if we were sitting in a meeting and there was a newcomer who just walked in, never heard about, about the program, and is just, you know, can't even hold a cup of coffee. Um, I guess what inspirational or, or hope um, could you give them to, you know, just make it through that night and then, you know, come back tomorrow? Great stuff. And, you know, that's one of my favorite things about going to meetings is when there are people there who are brave enough unselfish enough, um, just maybe hurtful or hurting enough to come to a meeting, you know, and raise their hand and willing to admit that, uh, hey, man, this is my first time coming to an AA meeting. So that's what keeps me going back to the Grave Street group. I love seeing everybody, but it's literally why we're there is I love seeing that board fill up with the newcomers stuff and for people in their literally first meetings I would again say stuff that I heard I'm a good regurgitator <laughs> from a lot of wise men and women from the Grave Street group who I feel very fortunate that have been a part of my sobriety and I've been able to learn from, but they told me to keep it simple, to not drink no matter what, to come to another meeting tomorrow, and to not drink in between those two meetings. And don't give up on yourself because you can do it because we are proof. And by we, I mean anyone with more than one day of sobriety. Having that, I, I don't even nudge for me hearing that from people people that have been sober literally for longer than I've been alive, but they're still willing to come to a meeting and share what the program means to them. That's all that I needed to hear. I was hooked. Hook, line, and sinker. You know, you talked about the fishing. You know, that that's a connection that you and I share. The first connection that we shared was we just didn't want to drink. <laughs> you yep. know? And then we got to know each other. And and good things continued to come from that one good thing. So being able to radiate some sort of hope, some sort of strength, some sort of positivity, whatever I may offer to them, I would offer to them of myself. And sometimes... I get so excited when I get newcomers that it's it's I kind of over I seem to have over some maybe overwhelm them I don't know, but I'm very candid when it comes to my sobriety because without it I am I am nothing without first realizing that that I'm gonna screw things up 
and I'm real good at getting down on myself and, and being that person, you know. And another wise person said, you don't ever have to feel that way, mm. you know. If you don't want to, the choice is yours, you know. You don't have to pick up a drink today. You don't have to, you know. That's, that's why I put my number down every time the packet comes around, you know. Buy a big book for people, you know, if, if they don't have the money. You know, especially if it's their first time, I think sometimes that's important. That way they can walk out with some literature in their hands because sometimes it's awkward enough. You know, we could have 25, 30 people in there and you hear two to three minutes of somebody with 30 years of sobriety and, you know, you picked up a drink yesterday, then, you know, you're like, dude, I'm pretty far removed from this guy, you know, but hearing people with enthusiasm and vigor and whether they've got one day or 35 years or 41 years or 55 or 60 years, that fires me up because I know I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, and to know that there's new people that are out there still struggling keeps me sober because I know that it's not gotten any better. And I know I physically am still ill. I know that I have an allergy to alcohol and that if I drink it, I'm going to probably break out in handcuffs. It's going to lead to attorney fees, and it's going to lead to bail money and divorce fees and just repercussions that I just don't have time to deal with today. So I just remove all that from my equation and focus on what I can do and what's in front of me. Focus on the being good, not bad, do right, not wrong, and just try to be the best version of myself no matter what. Offer help because it's there. And that's why I love going to the Grave Street group and having that connection with the first-time people because you're in a room full of people that don't want to drink for one day, one hour. No one's ever offered me a drink there, ever, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I've been going there since 2011, you know. So, and it's not something that I look, uh, and maybe someday someone will. I doubt that. <laughs> Because it's a it's a solution based uh. program, you know. We are there for them to carry the message to show that it is possible. Put their name up on the board, you know. We eat cake on birthday night, and people bring in food. Cake, you know. People, <coughs> normal people, don't understand that. Don't. Normal people that can drink alcohol successfully, that know when to quit drinking alcohol, unlike myself, they don't understand the the camaraderie and, and the, the joyous feeling that comes from hearing someone share their misery in, in a meeting. And then we laugh about it sometimes, you know, because it's like, wow, that's pretty sick. But we've done stuff sicker. Mm. And you're like, I needed to hear that. You know, being being a part of a program that is literally the only thing that I could think about is not drinking. It's not drinking. And how do I do that? Well, I go to a meeting. And then when I go to a meeting, what do I hear? People that are talking about not drinking. Well, it's easy for me to change my mindset because I'm in a different environment. So having that for the newcomers, I think, is crucial and having all the meetings available that we have is a great thing as well the early morning the afternoon all that good stuff that we offer you know good people that are there for the newcomers that hold true values and core principles of the program that's what keeps me coming back and that's what i hope keeps those newcomers coming back as well finding that in themselves you know and, it, and it's 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 not taking that first drink but it's also living comfortably with our decision you know because I, I can promise you this and i'm sure you feel the same way if if, if i was fucking miserable and sober i don't think i'd want to be sober right i mean it, it it's all about being happy finding serenity finding peace finding that that guy who's looking back in the mirror and just being okay with him you know, um, it's a beautiful fucking thing, dude. 
It, it is, Mike. And the the way of thinking, I don't spend a lot of time in the bad part of my brain where I feed, where negativity thrives, where doubt, fear, the four horsemen mm. kind of run the neighborhood. You know, you know about the four horsemen. <laughs> if not, you can read about it in the hymnal. That's right. It's in the in the black text on the white pages. Um, but that's I remember that, and that's again these things I don't think about them. Right? It's like a background application that runs all the time in my brain because I've been willing to commit to it for so long. It's literally rewired my brain. Because I needed that. I needed to hear all the meetings that I went to, all the struggles that I went through. I needed to hear people say, no matter what, it's going to work out the way it's going to work out. There's certain things you can do to prepare yourself. And that's on a spiritual level, on an individual basis, and focus on what you can focus on and control and let the other things go to your higher power, having that wherewithal and that ability to know that I am capable of that understanding completely changes my perspective, my attitude, and my way of life. And, and it literally became a way way of life. When I was a kid, my mom used to tell me all the time, you need an AA. And what an AA was for her was either an ass whooping, a swat on the butt, or an attitude adjustment, which would come as the result of a swat on the ass <laughs> with a bare hand or a belt. So being able to find that same change in myself without the physical pain at AA at the Grave Street Group in Alcoholics Anonymous, the cheapest, best thing that I've ever done in my whole life. Because each meeting may only cost me 2 to $3. And like you say, we are overpaid every day. Yeah, it's a double pay day. And so many things that I incorporate on my life on a daily basis are things that I heard while sitting around the most elegant chairs in Mansfield listening to the wisest people that I know talk about how comfortable sobriety is in their life, and then it manifests the luxuries that they have as the result of that, i.e. having a job, having people that care about them, having people that want to spend time with them, having the ability and the freedom to go make their own choices and not be chained to brother or mother alcohol. You know, um, just a, a wonderful way to live. And it's an easy way, so much easier for me today that it's, it's literally as easy as tying my shoes and putting on my shoes, putting on my glasses. I mean, it, it comes naturally. And also, those selfish tendencies still pop up because I am fallible but I'm able to recognize them and I can either manicure them to make them look right and make myself feel a little bit better about them. Or I can deal with them because I know it's only going to be detrimental to my cause later because I've proven it time and time again. I am the greatest creator and destroyer in my world. I will be the first one to destroy something I've worked really hard for. So, Speaking of the, the, the freedom, so now you have a choice to go do whatever you want, right? So we were talking before this. What are, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, yeah, I'm going to celebrate <laughs> my birthday. Uh, I'm turning, get to make another trip around the sun. I think I'm going to be 44 trips around the sun this, this time. So uh, we're going to go wheeling. I get to go wheeling in my Jeep for a little bit uh, with my wonderful wife. So that's uh, a beautiful blessing and, you know, the, the freedom of being free from uh, the prison and the torture and the torment and the terribleness of alcohol that was my alcoholism existence um, has offered me 
and allowed me to do so many great things. And it's all as the result of just doing one thing right. And that's the only thing that really I've been successful at. And that's not drinking. Like I screw up a lot of things. Sometimes I get tired of making decisions. By the time I come home from work, I'm like, that's all I've been doing is trying to figure out problems and how to work around them. But I have that ability to recognize problems and come up with a solution that doesn't involve physical harm to myself or or to my coworkers, you know? Like, just, I'm a completely different man, you know? And it's an amazing thing, and my wife would tell you, you know, she knew me. She, I can't believe, honestly, she decided to marry me. As much as I screwed up when we were drinking, but, you know, there was something about me that she liked, and um, I'm glad that I was able to, and still am able to make a living amends to her on a daily basis because I don't do everything right. I definitely need to be a better father, a better husband, um, but I, I sure do try. And being physically there and mentally aware and having all my mental faculties is an amazing thing. I d- you know, I don't have to worry about being drunk or, you know, uh, being clouded or, you know, having uh, ill-given tendencies, you know, worried about the girls and what they're doing so I could go drink. You know, I, I just couldn't even imagine trying to juggle that because that would be the only thing in my life would be alcohol. Probably a car, apartment, you know, shack, in a vehicle, you know. If I was lucky, you know, I don't think anybody would want to come see me, you know. So it's just, it's an amazing thing. And, and it, it's all is the result of just literally applying the principles that my dear friend Mike talks about here. And I'm really, literally, amazingly humbled and honored to be on this podcast is guest numero uno you know I'm, I'm telling you there was there was nobody that was going to be number one other than you um you know you you mentioned the fact right jim jim h and and, and eddie eddie and uh booty jim and all those guys right they they inspired so many people in that room but you inspire people too and i wanted to have you on here not only are you my best friend but you know your your story is amazing. Your 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 just your gratitude and positivity is 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 just infectious, and uh, so we're we're gonna we're gonna we're almost done. Um, is there one more thing you want to tell people listening um, about gratitude, recovery, um, whatever you want to say? One last thing. It's just like an an open mic type thing over here. Well, first of all, I, I, again, I appreciate it. I'm very humbled uh, and honored. Um, you know, Mike's been shaking these bushes for a long time trying to get me to schedules to line up and to be able to do this uh, so that other people can hear, hopefully, a little bit, find something a little bit that, that may encourage them uh, to find a different way of life that is more conducive to being positive because that's what this world needs. We need way more positivity. Uh, there's just so much negativity and people trying to be something and and describe who everyone else is trying to be and and that's okay, I guess. But you know, when it comes down to it, if we all think good especially about our, our fellow people, then we know that uh, we're only here for a certain amount of time. And this planet is big enough for all of us to exist as long as we focus on positive things and focus on the ability that we can change. And that if sobriety does lose its priority in one way, shape, or form, you can change that and make it number one again you know don't give up on yourself you know if it is something that you do struggle with and you're not sure don't give up please don't give up Uh, seek help Um, there's too many resources nowadays for for someone to still suffer especially in a manner of uh, the awfulness that could be the 
the death of alcoholism, whether it be through um, their own accord or or actions of their own attention. So um, this, I'm just grateful for this opportunity, for having the ability to be able to come in here and and share a little bit of time with you so that we can just hang out, man, and have our own little meeting, you know. So I'm grateful so much, and thank you. That's all I have. Jake, I I cannot tell you. I'm I'm so fucking excited that you were on here, and I am grateful for you. And uh, I'm I'm glad that we found the 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 schedule or the time in our schedules to where we can do this. Um, you're an amazing badass motherfucker. You just are, and I love you. Um, and I don't say that to too many men, but you're a good friend, and and I appreciate you. Um, again, thanks for coming on. I, goddamn boy, I I, you're an inspiration, and I fucking love you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy day to uh, give me a listen. Thank you for all your support. Check out our website, recoveryisfandawesome.podbean.com. And until next time, remember, don't take that first drink and you won't get drunk. Treat others with kindness, love, and respect. And remember, recovery is fucking awesome. Cool.